James. Hey, dude. How are you this morning? Yeah, I'm feeling a, licking my wounds a little bit after last night, but. James lost in poker after saying such things as, I can't hear you across the side of my massive stack, Duncan. <laughs> so he was um, doing some um, poo talking, won't use swear words here. Um, and yes, I, I was um, not going so well in the beginning, but I ended up winning. So thanks, James. Appreciate um, that. Um, I still um, maintain that I beat you out of the, the, the table, Duncan, but you bought back in. You had one buy back in. Um, I got a bit more like you got to relax a little bit. If you overthink it, you're playing too conservative. You often, you know, just don't do well. Anyways, what are we talking about today, James? All right. So we had a couple of uh, a chat a couple of episodes ago about, you know, cancel culture and looking at things, well, potentially being problematic at a societal level. And for me, if, you know, it's still something of, you know, supreme interest to myself. But now I want to look at it more on the, the individual level. And basically uh, where I think this ties down is looking at uh, you know, this trend that we're seeing of depression increasing in the younger generation today and what's been coined as reverse cognitive behavior therapy behavior uh, type behavior. <laughs> and, Trying to understand and unpack why we think this is actually happening. Yeah, okay. Um, and so this is partially inspired by the Jonathan Haidt article, like, you know, intellectual fragility going up, right? Mm -hmm. um, and the Vampire Castles article and then like Tim Urban, it's kind of on the same theme. Um, and to me, yeah. All right. So do you think you're intellectually fragile? Ooh. No, I don't. And I do have... The battle scars to prove it. <laughs> okay, what does that mean? Well, I think one of the best, one of, not the reason, but one of the best kind of like um, side effects of being in a long term relationship is that you. <laughs> Go on. Yeah. Is, is that you have to be willing to speak honestly about ways in which you are, you know, you don't agree on foundational things. And if you can't have a very honest and direct conversation on that, then it's going to be a very, very difficult existence for you. Hmm. I mean, like intellectual fragility comes in many forms. And so maybe we sort of talk, talk about this. Um, cognitive behavioral therapy is meant to decrease intellectual fragility. And it's one strategy. And there's a lot of evidence around this, right? So there is the stimulus. And then there is what you do, like, so, or, or like, you know, response, and then there's behavior, right? And you can change this. And so they're talking about changing all areas. So for instance, you don't want to actually have these stimuluses, one, trigger you, if you want to use that word, right? And even if you do see them, so you, you stop having them trigger you, they, they change. When you do, you respond, not react, right? And so you don't go from, I don't know, all good to anxious, or all good to you know really worried you know or, or you know depressed um and so you can you can actually work on this and shift things and this is another thing they call neuroplasticity so it's effectively lowering your intellectual fragility um and what jonathan Haidt and a few other people are saying is that we've actually been training people the opposite we have been doing anti-cognitive behavioral therapy training um and so to me, there's a bunch of different ways that this comes up in different other areas. So in school, as an example, people will talk about needing a growth mindset. 
And one of the big, um, you know, I call them untruths um, that happens is what doesn't kill you makes you weaker. And so in school, as an example, if you get a question wrong, what doesn't kill you makes you weaker, you don't then, you know, shouldn't give up. You should try again with a different strategy, they would say. And that this is growth mindset is knowing that you can grow and that you're not, I don't know, born good or bad at maths, but you can improve your intellectual abilities. And so this is the opposite of, you know, intellectual fragility, it's intellectual resilience. Another example, you know, would be, we've told us a bunch, you know, Martin Seligman, where they do specific resilience training for people that are going into combat. And so instead of having post-traumatic stress, what doesn't kill you makes you weaker, you have post-traumatic growth. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And so in a classroom, that would be called growth mindset versus fixed mindset. And there's a lot of effort that goes into the mindset, um, you know, building. Um, and it's very, very, very important um, by many, many studies. Um, and that's just, I suppose, picking two. But then I think society um, has, without necessarily, I mean, you know, Pastor Hell's pay for good intentions, has, I, you know, and the data is you need to read this article from Jonathan Haidt, people have become more fragile. Mm. So I think a good place to start is making sure we're on the same page when we say anti-fragile. Um, because I think this is at the crux of one of the issues that we're seeing. And so for me, what I find is a lot of people think that being anti-fragile is just the opposite of fragile, which is something that can break easily. Um, and I don't think that's the case. So and like the opposite of fragile would be something like robust or resilient, something that can you know, uh, you know remain intact uh, when there is a lot of pressure or stress put into the system. But anti-fragile is beyond that. So anti-fragile is something that actually gets stronger under stress. It's something that can develop and grow uh, and improve based on stresses to the system. And so really good examples of things like muscle tissue, right? So when you go to the gym and you work out those massive biceps of yours, Duncan, hmm. uh, what you're doing, you're actually tearing the tissues in your muscles. And so it's not because your muscles robust or can handle the stress. It actually breaks down and then comes back even bigger. Um, some people think that the banking system is a good example because people throw all of this stuff at it uh, every day to try and I'm not sure anyone thinks that, James. <laughs> well, it was an example in the Andrew Fragile book, and I can't remember who wrote it, but he was talking about how um, by, by continuously uh, attacking the system, it figures out ways to reinforce itself. So that, that might be a, a, good, um, a, a good example of like by attacking ideas, it, you can figure out better ways to reinforce your ideas. Now, maybe they, maybe they, maybe they fail, but then it's not you that fails; it's your ideas, and then you can think of better and stronger ideas. If that makes sense. Mm. Well, you were introducing another idea, and I don't know that we need to define it personally because it hasn't come up. But it's from Nassim Taleb, the book Anti Fragile. So, if something um, let's just call it there, there are like good and bad things that can happen to you, right? And that's, there's always going to be that, right? This is oversimplify. And if something not good happens, like a bad thing, does it make you worse, same, or better, mm. right? And it's tempting to think that a bad thing makes you worse. Um, so, for instance, you got the mass question wrong. Oh, no, you know, the heavens have fallen on me. I, I'm bad at mass. I can't do this. Or, you know, you know, if you're going to go to war, and this is one of the ones that a lot of study, you may well encounter some pretty bad things they say that people die on battlefields you know <laughs> um and so if you're on a battlefield um might not be the greatest place uh to be you know this and so effectively um <clears throat> what can happen <clears throat> excuse me is that you can something bad happens you can get worse 
you can be neutral or you can get better. And what I think has happened from well-intentionedness in, in, in society is people have thought, well, something bad happens, then you get worse, of course. And actually, that's not necessarily the case. Um, and in fact, if you look at most people, they grow through adversity. Uh, you know, whether it's like a sports team, they lose the game and then, then they, they're going to learn from this, it's going to get better. Um, or it's somebody, you know, at school, or it's, you know, you, you sometimes you have a relationship with somebody, like it, romantic or friendship or whatever, and it doesn't always go well. Do you know? And so just because, you know, I don't know, you love that person and then you break up a romantic relationship, it hurts, like, of course, but it doesn't necessarily mean life's over. You can learn from it and you can get stronger and you can get better, right? But it's taken to me as in like an article of, you know, sort of faith or, you know, a truism that something bad happens, you, um, you know, are going to be worse. And so then there are these like little vigilantes or what Tim Urban calls social justice fundamentalists that are going around and they are looking for anything to get triggered by, right? And the more things they can find, the more protecting they're doing, right? And then instead of, for instance, you know, being saying, okay, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. No, words are violence, right? <laughs> and so, oh my God, that word, oh my God, you know, out of control, you know, anxiety, stress, etc. So they're kind of, I believe, intending to help. But what they have done, according to this, is, you know, anxiety up, depression up, suicide attempts up, actual suicides, you know, life, happiness, you know, down, people's ability thinking. So there's these graphs like when something goes wrong, you know, um, when I try to get somebody tries to stop me, so they think there are these oppressors out there. Um, and I'm not saying that the world's perfectly even, but if you are constantly looking for reasons why you can't get ahead, or in this, then you're probably going to be less good at getting ahead than if you didn't. Just like if you get a single mass question wrong, and then you decide that the mass textbook is against you, and there's this evil, you know, system in place, the deep state of mass textbooks, then you may not try anymore. Uh, one of the things I think was really interesting um, from Tim Urban in this whole idea of victim mindset, as he opens it up into, into three different types of cultures. So there's victim culture, which is what we're seeing today, there's dignity culture, and then there's honor culture. And I think you'd say that honor culture was what was pervasive, let's just say 200 plus years ago. And that would be if I were to walk up to Duncan and say like, you are a unpleasant person. <laughs> As I was like, shall duel you in public, you know, the wild west or something, yeah. I bite my teeth at you. Um, someone, being someone of honor, Duncan would confront me right there and there, you know, whether that would be in like fisticuffs or a duel or something to, for Duncan to retain his quote unquote honor. Then we moved to something called dignity culture, which I think is much more recent. And the idea there is, as Tim put it, that if I walked up to Duncan and said, I think you are a unpleasant person, then Duncan would not respond. Not because he was scared or because he um, you know, didn't care what I said, but because he didn't want to show that he cared. He wanted to show that my, my unpleasant thoughts towards him was beneath him. And then you get victim culture, which is, when someone accuses you of something unpleasant, you then go to a third party to get them to punish me. And this seems to be something that is not only working for society today, but something that's actively reinforced and encouraged. Mm. I would say 
that you would like to not have intellectual fragility, but if you wanted to use your thing to, you know, on Nassim Taleb's definition, intellectual anti-fragility. So mm. things that are, aren't good, not only just don't make you not worse, they make you better. Or this is, you know, you have a growth mindset uh, in education, right? Or you have high resilience, you know, in lots of areas. And so to me, this is, a, you know, a good way to get through. And it might not be like, I don't know, di- you know, direct diversity in the way that some of the people talk about this, but it's like, I don't know, business is not going well, or you get a, you get a bad, you know, job review, or, you know, performance review. Well, what do you do? How about you try and work on improving things, right? <laughs> not start to worry incessantly, you know? And so to me, those who complain a lot don't normally make that many changes. Mm. And so to me, the world gets better because humans make it better. So find areas that you can try to improve and, and every person matters. Um, and if you are, your way of thinking to improve is trying to complain a lot and to make others complain with you, is this actually making the world better or is this increasing intellectual fragility, which comes out as increased anxiety, depression, suicide attempts, you know, people, you know, not wanting to start businesses, et cetera. Um, and so to me, not all things that are well-intentioned lead to good outcomes. So good intentions don't lead to good outcomes. Let's mm-hmm. say the path to hell is paved with good intentions. I believe there are some deeply well-intentioned people that are trying to help, but that the data is in. We've had 10 years since 2013 when this really started of this and the strategies that they're employing, um, which is social justice fundamentalism. You know, there are oppressors out there. It is, you know, that the government can somehow solve these things, you know, part of the left that there's, you know, whatever. Um, have not helped. So you can look at huge numbers of metrics in Australia. There's the closing the gap initiatives. They've gone forward slightly on some, but you know, back on most of them when I looked at it. And so to me, we want to help, but sometimes what you think of as help isn't actually help. It's a hindrance. And these are things they call specious. They look good on the first level, but they're actually so it's a, it looks like an upgrade, but it's actually a downgrade. Hmm. And so you've got to be careful. Much of what you do when you try to help actually will not end up as help. And if it's hurting, doubling down and yelling on the same strategy twice as hard isn't probably the way to go about it. So to me, this is really important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think the one of the central um, tenets here is what John Stuart Mill was talking about: locus of control. And one of the things that he he was observing is when you ask people over time the question, every time I try to get ahead, someone or somebody stops me, this seems to be increasing. And, you know, I, I think that relates very strongly to what you said, like, you know, good things happen by people, something to that effect. <laughs> the world gets better if people make it better. Yeah, it right. get, it's the fault is to not just slowly get better. Well, yeah. well, that and a falling locus of control don't, can't coexist. Right. If you if you're growing up in a world where you believe that you, you. Have, <laughs> where you have less agency, then why would you think that you need to have a growth mindset or a anti-fragile approach? If you're if you feel oppressed, if you feel that the locus is not in your control, then it seems like that would be the kind of thing that would encourage and foster a victim mindset. Yeah. Um, look. This is, I suppose, to say that some things are in your control and not everything is in your control, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not just sort of that simple. Like, if you want to go to North Korea, um, I, I think life might be relatively tough, you know? And this, uh, but, you know, to me, there are circumstances where stuff is in your control. 
deeply, right? And so as an example, how you respond to a math question, so people would say, and I think this is fair, and I know that there are different you know, views out there, cognitive behavioral therapy, so no, no, um, cognitive load therapy, um, that the biggest problem in the West is people's mindsets towards maths, that they think people are born good and bad at maths, and that often people will give up if they get things sort of wrong. So one version of resilience is the number of questions you get wrong in maths till you stop trying. And when you talk to people, you can change or build their mindsets. And so to me, I do think there are certain things which are not necessarily in people's control. And so as an example, in the US, I think that there is systemic inequality and people that are born into a poverty trap effectively. Whereas in Australia, um, we have the highest minimum wage in the world on a purchasing power barrier pays us, um, you know, having said which, you know, the Australian dollar has been declining versus the US, so maybe that has changed just recently. And so it's, uh, it's, it's you know, we have free universal healthcare. Um, people say that, you know, we have the best, some people say that the starting point for those at the bottom of any place in the world, and I think that's a not unreasonable thing to say. And so to me, um, you know, your ability to get forward, if that is the case, because, you know, in, in um, income, also, you know, based on purchasing power parity basis means that your average ability to buy the goods that are around has gone up. Now, is it necessarily going to be the same as, I don't know, the people that are born in the top 1% or the bottom percent? No. But is it still better than it was a generation ago? Yes. And is it better than it is in other countries? Yes. Right? So some of the outcome for you is dependent upon you. This is an oversimplification. You are your starting point plus effort. Now, some countries' effort doesn't matter, like in North Korea, Right? And you want efforts to be as much matters as possible, but it's never going to be perfectly equal. And that's not just, you know, okay, according to rules, the only reason you can justify inequality is that if it improves the charts, starting point of those at the bottom, it's actually a good thing, <laughs> right? It's like, oh, and it takes a while to get around this. And I'm, I'm going off on a large tangent now. But I suppose I want to make one extra point here that, yes, your effort and your mindset, you know, does, and someone's doing but there are also things you can do to help. It's just if you believe that 100% of you, your outcomes are somebody else's doing, that's not good, right? Mm -hmm. So what portion? Well, it depends, um, you know. But to me, you want the most upward mobility possible and you want to set societies up to optimize for the ability for those born at the bottom to do well. That's what Rawls said. And I think that... As an example, Australia does a bloody good job of this, and the US could do a much better job of this. We do a much better job than, than America. Um, yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of the invocation grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the yeah. courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Exactly. And I think there, there are three, like, That's serenity prayer. Yeah. Yeah. So that, there are three um, operative words there serenity, courage, and wisdom. And I think those three things are what's our ingredients that are not in, you know, at a healthy level when we are seeing people struggle to distinguish between areas of their life where they do have control versus areas where they don't. And I think the, um, the three areas of cognitive behavioral therapy where Jonathan Haidt was talking about the great untruths, a really good litmus test for that. So the, the first one, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you weaker. Now, if you just believe that on a universal scale, it's going to be very difficult for you to distinguish between challenges in your life that are there for you to grow versus challenges in your life that are there to oppress you. 
because I can give you examples where you know there are challenges that could be uh, you know net negative, such as you know living in North Korea, going to war, potentially having the war can be possible. Yeah, Go on. it can be, but like if you you know if you lose your your sight and hearing because you were right near a flash bomb, <laughs> um, and you're traumatized. Then that can that can be very hard to come back from. You can you can overcome it, for sure. Um, but I guess what I'm trying to tease out is, if you just think every single negative action or event is just going to be a net negative effect, it's not going to behoove you to want to approach things with a gross mindset or an anti-fragile one. Mm. Yeah. So. I think you sort of see this, and this is what people say about there's a liberal environment where people can discuss ideas. And if you've got this right, you actually seek out people with different points of view to you. So you can start to learn. They say you don't learn from people that agree with you. You learn from people that have a different point of view with you. And you want to try to understand why they have a different point of view. Um, and so not like they're stupid or now today they're evil. All opposition speech is often termed as hate speech, which to me is absurd. Multiple people can have different opinions on what to do. You know, they can be reasonable opinions. So that's the liberal environment. Then there's speech control, which is where people are kind of starting to self-censor. So they're not they're not saying things that they think because they're worried about treatment on eggshells, because they're worried about people that go and, you know, round and round, um, protest or try to get someone cancelled, as an example. And there's forced listening. So you have to sit and listen to things, right? I think we are well and truly into forced listening, right? Mm. And then there's forced speaking. So as an example, this is what Tim Urban talks about with social justice fundamentalism and taking over things. Um, in Australia, as an example, the major sporting codes have come out in favour of the voice. And they've never come out in favour of a political party before. You know, they, they don't come out in favour of things like, you know, same-sex marriage when we had that or, or the Republic. And so if you look at Tim's framework, you would say, yeah, that they have been taken over by social justice fundamentalisms. And this is not their sort of area, but they are forced to speak like this now, right? Um, and so to me, this, I think, has been done with good intentions that we need to help people. Um, now, and we should. We should be trying to get better start. But we also need to give people the two parts of the story. You are your starting point plus effort. So we want to help make your starting point better. But we also need to give you the story that you need to do something with that and not that, well, if things didn't go well, it is somebody else's fault, the oppressor. And if you vote for this, then it'll all be good. Now, that doesn't mean that sometimes there aren't things you can help with, right? And this, but it, it is purporting that that is all of how to help improve outcomes. That to me is really problematic. Mm. Um, and that I think has become quite rife. Um, and it's not just you feeling it, um, it's actually, seeing it everywhere yeah so the, the data is in through Jonathan Hayden and others that this is not not some sort of feeling and then you can look at the number of words that people consider trigger words and how often they show up in media and they've gone from stuff all to being like 10 to 100 times more common in all the mainstream media mm. and then people responding to these trigger words with effectively uh, you know anti-cognitive behavioral things so so becoming triggered and then worried and stressed and then yelling and screaming more about things and it's just sort of neg negative feedback loop. Yeah. So so you so you referenced the the illiberal staircase from Tim Urban there, mm. where he's got the the levels, there's your liberal environment, which I think 
at least according to Tim, is the ideal uh, environment. Then you've got speech control, where you are basically controlling your own speech so that you don't get cancelled, if, if I've got that right. Then there's forced listening, where you now have to listen to one particular point of view. And then there's forced speaking. And if I understand correctly, you were equivocating the AFL coming out in support of the voice as forced speaking. So that would suggest that they may not necessarily support that in their own mind, but they've been forced to come out in favour of that. Would that be fair? So this is probably something controversial that I've said when I was camp, but like, I mean, there are many examples of um, schools, <laughs> like, as an example, you know, the, the students will expect the school to come out in favour of something or whatever else it is. And schools are apolitical places that normally don't take, you know, they, I'm aware, you know, uh, and so to me, this is forced speaking. Like, you need to take a stance on this. You need to come forward and put this stuff out. Mm. And this is not the role of these institutions. The goal, you know, as an example, they're like stewards. Like, you know, to me, the point of education is not to help force you to think whatever, you know, the writer of things is to help people be really figure out their own beliefs. So it's not to make you believe whatever I believe. It's to help you figure out your own beliefs. Yeah. And we need to create a liberal environment which allows people to explore ideas where it's safe to change their minds and to have discussions about multiple points of view. And if you don't do this, you don't have the growing of people, but this is also losing of the you know, freedom of speech. And so well-intentioned people, I think, think that the way to help is this, but the, you know, as they say, the most important value is freedom of speech because it's the value which updates all other values. Mm. Um, and you need to expect that your values can shift over time and you need to try to be able to have a constructive discussion with yourself and others. And this has been going the opposite way, like towards dictatorship, you know, as, as Tim puts it. And so part of this is pushing intellectual fragility. It's like things are getting worse. We should worry about this, you know, so for instance, trigger words, you know, and all these things. So what happened in 2013 to start this? And then there are other, you know, people got a lot of theories. <laughs> um, and... Yeah, I don't know. We should touch them because you know this is the thing. Like, I am honestly scared to talk about a lot of this stuff because, you know, to me, I don't know. I'm just trying to understand how mm. have we had, you know, teen, you know, um, well-being and other stuff, you know, decline massively. And do we want that to continue? Like, God no. You know, so so, so let's think about trying to help here. Yeah. So if I try to, you know, think back on my formative youth, you know, it was uh, not too not too long ago. It's, it's something for me of a, of a journey of self-discovery. And in order to feel safe in that exploration, there needs to be, I would say, a lot of room for trial and error. And, you know, whether it's trying out new forms of expression, like, you know, wearing ripped jeans or, you know, skinny jeans or whatever uh, the <laughs> fashion it was of the day, or different belief sets. And it's really, really, I would say, you know, it's tricky when you're in your teenage and early 20 years where, you know, you go through phases where people would typify as like messianic complex, but you would start to have, you know, really, really strong convictions in certain areas. But now what we're seeing is, you know, people going through that same phase of growth and we're hearing more and more about, you know, forced listening and forced speaking. That would make me think that for a young person today, 
I would feel less freedom in being able to express myself or find different modes of expression when there is a greater fear of maybe judgment, condemnation, or uh, ostracization if I were to express something that was outside the acceptable norms or Overton window. So maybe for me, this an, an area of this increasing in expression, is, or sorry, in, in depression, is oppression of self-expression. A lot of actions. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think they think this is, but it's like, no, this is, is groupthink what's going on, mm. right? Um, in the whole, you know, view of 1984. <laughs> and you can have thought crimes, you know? If you think something wrong, you know, you're bad and you're, you're going to be, you know, you said, you know, we've talked about this in the most recent ones, you know, excommunication is modern day. It's a cancel culture of modern day excommunication. So to me, um, part of this is like Q, there's the Q, then there's behavior and there's reward. This is what they talk about, one example of what a habit is. So this is that Q is stimulus, behavior is your response slash reaction, and then the reward is the, um, so your response reaction, and then behavior and feeling, right? And so if you have looked through the data that there's other one, then we'll link to this. The number of words considered trigger words, so like race words, inequality, et cetera, in the mainstream media that they track in all countries, you know, not just America, but, you know, Germany, Australia, et cetera, has gone up massive amounts since 2013. So these are the triggers, right? So it was like bumbling along blah, 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 and now race, you know, this or inequality, this or, or whatever else it is, right? And so the, the cue or the stimulus has gone up I've forgotten the exact numbers, but at least 10x, you know, so more than like 100x. Um, and then people are being trained that when they see this word, that this is bad. And so, you know, words are violence, right? And so that they need to stop the violence through sometimes violence, you know, <laughs> through you know, <laughs> protesting, shutting down, yelling and screaming, but violence towards themselves, you know, self-harming, right? Because the world is bad. And then they get the reward, which is, ah, okay, well, I have been helping. You know, there's these evil oppressors out there. So the stimulus has gone up 10 to 100x. And then we've gone from six and stones will break my bones, the worst never hurt me, to words of violence. And also not just that, silence is violence. So if you hear this bad word, right, that is violence, and you don't say anything about it, you're allowing that, you know, word to hurt someone. So you need to get acting up, right? And then you get anxiety, depression, you know, self-harming, et cetera. Um, and they think this is helping, right? This, this is done with good intentions. But I think that the data is in that this isn't helping. Um, and you can, again, I talked about microcosms of this. Like you're, you're literally doing reverse behavioral cognitive therapy training. You're training yourself instead of being able to not see triggers and to not get triggered, to see as many triggers as possible and to be as triggered as possible. And that this is somehow making the world better. Um, and so to me, I think that's hard to swallow. Yeah, so I think like, it's really hard to maintain the same, you know, wisdom from uh, learned experience of previous generations. Like you've got the, gr the greatest generation who went through the great wars. They would have a thing or two to tell you about what is actually constitutes violence. Mm. And three or four generations later, we're now talking about microaggressions and trigger words as being you know comparative in their ability to to hurt and affect others mm. and corporal punishment at schools 
And now if someone kind of like looked at you wrong or something, you know, it's somehow worse. Yeah. So they put their, if they put their hands up in front of you like this, that's the microaggression. See, I don't understand how that is the same as actually getting the cane. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, anyways, whatever. Well, that's the thing, right? Because you don't have the, the wisdom of learned experience um, or earned experience, I think is uh, what the phrase was. And when you, I think, are indoctrinated, in a world where there is a class, an oppressive class, where there are the the haves and the have-nots, or the what are they, the the, the victims and the oppressors, mm. then you start to see the world through that lens. And when it, uh, you know, and I, again, I think it is more relevant to younger generations when you are at that age where you have a much higher um you know drive to want to be a positive force in the world i don't know that i just think that they're straight up dunning kruger and they have no idea what dunning kruger is well they they think they they understand things and they've got super high confidence about it and they've also got time because they're often at university and so i remember i thought i was busy at university not really busy you know yeah Uh, and so they're intending to help but they're not, you know, good intentions do not necessitate good outcomes. You know, and once you get across that, like, oh crap. So you mean all these things that I've done trying to help might have been hindering? Like, yeah. Like, okay, well, what portion? Like probably 50%. So, uh-oh, not like 1%, not like an aberration. Like with the benefit of hindsight, I look back on things that I thought were helping for myself and others, and I'm like, idiot, you know, <laughs> Johnny Kruger. Yeah, well, that's coming through, uh, that comes through every generation. Like you can, you can sit down and you can talk to an 80-year-old long enough today and you'll get the sense that they know a lot of things better than you do. And so it's not that that goes away, it's that that comes with increased agency as they get older. And the sense of agency today is things like online um, activism. You know, what is it? The Twitter warriors. And when you get given those kinds of channels where you don't actually have to face up to, you know, what who, who you are being challenged by, there's a lot of confidence that comes with that as well and that these things tend to scale so i definitely think there is a lot of unearned wisdom in the sense that you know you do have certainty in your belief when you are a lot younger but it seems that we're feeding this younger generation a litmus of ways of thinking it's almost eatable in its nature that like, you know, you're oppressed, but you know, all you have to do is to find these particular thoughts or moralities and you have to just snuff them out and then you're forced for good. And that's where I think, as you said, the data is coming in and it's like that way of thinking is not really helpful or constructive anymore. Well, I don't know if it ever was. <laughs> well, um, then I'll find that out. But to, to me, this is the sort of thing that I think maybe um, is, a, is one way to look at it. I'm talking about the operating system layer, not about the application layer. And so to me, you know, should we have sporting codes? Yeah, sure. You know, not sure. Yeah, like I I like it, right? Um, And so this is more about how do we operate? And so the goal should be to me at operating system level that we are trying to have a liberal environment, which is where we are trying to foster multiple perspectives and to allow people to talk about them and to update their views over time. You know, we used to think lobotomies were a good idea. We've stopped with that now, right? We used to think that, you know, the stolen generation was a good idea. We've stopped with that. But also if you were a female in the 60s and you got pregnant and you were, you know, not married, 
they would have most of the time taken the child from you, put it up for adoption and said, you weren't able to raise the child. So they were also stealing the children of non-Indigenous people, right? And so to me, we've gone through time. It's not, it's not a perfect steady state of progress. You know, there's some things which we think are progress, which are regress, like lobotomizing, you know, like the stolen generation. And so with the benefit of hindsight, you look back and go, oh, God, you know, what the hell was going on, right? And so to me, one of these is this. I, I think we need to be trying to have the operating system working properly, which is where you have free speech, which is where you are looking to have other people be able to put forward their things. I don't agree with what you say, but I'll fight to the death for your right to say it, Voltaire. That is an operating system, you know, angle. And that doesn't mean that like, you can vote for whatever party you want, which is an application layer to me as an example, right? Um, and <clears throat> to me, yeah, this is really important to kind of get right. Mm. They're, they're trying to change the operating system layer, I think, um, without necessarily realizing it. And they are forcing, you know, stuff down people's throats. And so to me, this is, you know, what I think we should be looking to shift. Uh, and one of the things Tim Urban is talking about. So again, yeah, there are certain people that you should have a view and you should uh, on whatever it is, you know, um, but we shouldn't be forcing or saying that other people's views are hate speech, right? Which is what a lot of them are. And that's part of this. Like, well, why is it hate speech? Because that word is a trigger and that, you know, words are violence. Mm. And I'm like, well, so you literally, if I disagree with you, you on any level, and I'm not saying like, this is not thing to do with voting left or voting right. I voted left, you know, last election. It is that we should be able to have a discussion um, about things. And that's, in my opinion, not really possible at the moment hmm. or increasingly difficult. Uh, I, I definitely agree with you when you, when you say this is an operating system level issue. Um, one of the things that really st stuck with me was um, when Naval said, the foundation of morality is the creation of an environment that allows for error correction. So you can see how that kind of conflicts with a lot of today's message, which is, I would say, more about moral absolutism, more about self-righteousness. Can you, can you give us that Naval quote again? What was it, sorry? The found, well, I, um, this is just from memory, so I don't know if it's word for word, but the foundation of morality to creation of an environment that allows for error correction. Right. But like, I, you can see the, the overlap there to free speech. Right, which is you know we need to be able to say our share our ideas with the awareness that they could be wrong, but we don't know if they're wrong if we don't share them and you know have them bash up against other ideas. But underneath all of that is to know that it's okay to be wrong if you are willing to share that and you know be persuaded differently. And so that's where I think this idea of like you know we need to allow for error correction. Because one of the one of the uh, you know great epiphanies of my life was when I came to realize that nobody knows anything, including myself. It's a very strong statement, absolute, and I think is not reasonable, James. It was a it, it's kind of a parody or satire, right? So it's really just about saying that you don't have to know everything. You just have to believe that if you you know put one thought forward, then you can start to you know adjust your way of thinking on top of that and if you are suddenly stifled from being able to share your thinking out of fear of you know being you know cast as someone who is 
reprehensible because your ideas don't perfectly overlap with anyone else's, then that's where I think it's really difficult for us to have the ability to not only just grow, but know ourselves fundamentally. Yeah, I'm going to just pick on that one. Like, I don't think it's a reasonable thing to say nobody knows anything, including myself. Right. Well, there, there, there are many things you can know. <laughs> um, and so, you know, we often sort of identify there are facts and ideas, right? So fact today is Sunday, right? You know, fact, whatever. Coffee costs $4 from the cafe down the corner. Um, idea, how to spend your Sunday well, you know, idea, how to make good coffee. Mm. And an idea, like, you know, societies are ideas. Um, and I think that there's this weird like amount like because you know having people that have different points of view to you um can sometimes be indoctrinated to be thought of as hate you know as opposed to healthy discussion and so to me this idea of words of violence and silence is violence is weaponizing words um and is meaning that people start to believe this um, so again, to me, the operating system layer's job is to help you figure out your own beliefs, not to make you think whatever beliefs there are. And this is another concept, you know, which we talk about a bit, Karl Popper, open societies versus closed societies. One of them was open societies' views are meant to update with time. That's the operating system's job is to update the laws, is to update, you know, new types of jobs. It's not a centralized thing, right? Um, versus closed societies where things are fixed. It's from the, you know, the Bible or the Quran or the King, you know, whatever else it is. I say, ah, okay, so we're meant to update that, yeah. And not just that, people having different opinions to you doesn't make them evil or hate, you know, hate speech or, or you know, racist or, or whatever, sexist. It can actually be healthy and say, what? It's like, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, and so this is not what I think has been put forward. Um, so we need to go, you know, and understand that they went from intersect marriage, you know, and you couldn't have a Catholic married Protestant to same-sex marriage, you know, so to interracial marriage, you know, to same-sex marriage, to, you know, different things to that. And, and that's fine, right? And so it's really important to allow different perspectives, to allow people to live the way they want to as long as they're not harming others. And harm is not normally words. People are allowed to talk about things that are different to you and that we are trying to help improve this. Um, so to me, yeah, I disagree with what you say, but I'll fight to the death for your right to say it not. I disagree with what you say and I'll fight to the death to get you cancelled. Somehow, the operating system layer has been hijacked by all well, this is what they call social justice fundamentalists. Fundamentalists don't normally want to listen to other people's point of view. It doesn't matter if you're a fundamentalist about almost anything. And I, I really resonate with that social justice fundamentalist thing. And, and that's from Tim Urban. And I think that one of the outcomes of that is massively increased intellectual fragility, um, which is net negative for society. Mm. Well, something that I've, um, you know, came up with myself, because I'm a clever cookie, but I don't know if it's a full, um, uh, if it's a full uh, exclusionary thought, but I feel like that there's two, there are two types of mindsets. One where I see people operate under the guise of self-righteousness, and the other one where it's more outcome orientation. So what I used to say to myself was, you know, when you are confronted with something that you disagree with, you can be self-righteous, you can stay stand by your beliefs, you can you can uh, ostracize or demonize the other person, 
as wrong. Or you can try and work towards what I call outcome orientation, which is what is the outcome that you actually want to achieve here? Because I would posit that it's not, if you have enough self-awareness, it's not that you want to be right, it's that you want the truth to prevail. Now, the truth is a subjective word here. I'm not talking about facts. I'm talking about what is most helpful in this scenario. So it could be like, what do we think is the is the right operating model for a society? Super complex question, right? But if you are going to be self-righteous in your own ideas, then anyone who opposes them are going to be bad people or evil, like you know, one of the other cognitive reverse behavioral therapies. Whereas if you want to have something that orients yourself towards the ideal outcome, then I would posit that it would then be incumbent upon you to listen to other ideas so that you can get the best possible result. Because I don't know if it's possible to find like the truth, but I would say that if you thought this way, you would know it would be very it would be a lot more difficult to know the truth if you only listen to one idea and that would be right. Yeah, again, like I, I think you kind of touched on this. Um, like I would steer, steer clear of the word like the truth, right? Because this is uh, a way of thinking of, I think, the world um, in, in, in something that's not necessarily helpful. It's like, what is going to make more progress? Mm. What is going to help make the world better incrementally, right? What is um, positive? And yeah, correct. Um, and so you know, almost all things, there's some good, some bad. Um, or, you know, they said that the decisions that get to the president's desk are 51-49, right? Easy decisions. Most decisions are not 100% win, 0% loss. So there's some trade-off. And, you know, if it's 90-10, I said about this, that's normally a no-brainer, right? It's like, yeah, of course there's, you know, some way that this is probably going to be, like, as I say, we have to make a decision about, like, I don't know, what it is to put into a certain, you know, resource for education. Well, this is going to help 90%, but hinder 10%. So the net win is 80%. It's like, yeah, well, we'll do that one, right? But if you only look at the world from the like the net negative or the 10% component, you're like, well, we shouldn't do anything that makes things worse. I'm like, yes, but we, it, it is, you know, the, the way that we make progress. And so, so one thing, like, I don't know, people don't want necessarily to have more coal mines made. I'm like, okay, sure. But they also don't want more lithium mines. And I'm like, hold on a second. Like, we need to get off carbon right i need to get onto renewables and we need batteries for that right and we need lithium for that and so we should conceivably not do more coal mining but we need to mine as much lithium as fast as possible because right now the biggest bottleneck is the number of batteries so we can get to climate change as fast as possible so you hindering this exactly so there's two options either we have massive population decline through starvation because we don't have enough energy to look at this or we shift our energy consumption from coal to renewables. And so it's like, is it worth digging up the ground so that we can get to carbon neutral faster and then we have less storms and the seas rise less? And yes, part of that, you know, whatever it was there getting it. And I'm like, seems like a pretty good trade-off to me. The other side is if you have starvation, you'll have countries like China, you know, that are like, hey, well, I'm not going to have my people starve and we need this. So it's like Australia, we'll be taking that, you know? <laughs> and so to me... This is just, you know, let's get on with getting on with it. And let's try to help people be able to live better lives. And let's not tell people what's right and wrong. Let's not scream up and down, you know. And let's think about things that, yes, you're entitled to your view, but others are entitled to their view. And you, 
effectively making it so that others aren't able to have their view or discuss things isn't a path forward. It's literally what totalitarian states have, you know, which is you must agree with the, you know, King Mustache, um, which is, you know, what Tim, you know, called the sort of, you know, dictator. So to me, yeah, it, it, it appears, frankly, and this is the third episode we've kind of done on this, I think, to me, that it makes sense when you start to look at this as an operating system level out outcome. Now, your, your, like, you know, policies that you want, that's fine. You can put them forward. But you, you, you know, you're not able to. Uh, and should you put them forward? Yes. Should you try to change others' minds? Yes. But doing it in a way which causes you to become unhappy and collects other people into anxiety, depression, and stops discussion of, you know, and and is wrecking the operating system. To me, is a net negative. Hmm. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be able to say these things. I'm just saying that the way that you're going about it is having second order consequences for both the the system, the operating system, as well as the individuals. So I think, you know, you're right. That's probably the second or third time that we've come to this topic uh, and area. But, it, you know, one reason being it is something that I think is super relevant and super complex um, and engaging for us to try and make sense of. Um, where I first started out on this particular um, conversation was, you know, the, you know, the chickens are coming home to roost and the data seems to suggest that it's making people a lot more depressed. It seems that people have a lower sense of locus of control, a lower sense of agency, um, and a higher sense of helplessness or learned helplessness, to use your phrase. Yeah, that's something that Martin Seligman came up with. Yeah, and so trying to, I guess, dig deeper into this area and figure out not just like, you know, where is the relationship, but what do we think needs to be done or could be done or should be done to try and help us like right the ship or um you know get you know back out of this societal funk that we seem to be in and for me like the first one i think is this idea that we i think because this is happening at the you know at the level where people are being taught what the operating system is therefore it's forming how they actually think about these challenges. And I think we need to implement the ability for you to engage in disagreements res respectfully. Mm. And that's something I think is really important because it's not just on a uh, economic level or a cultural level, it's on relationship levels. Like you and I, Duncan, like to have a friendship that spans decades, I think needs to have the ability to disagree respectfully. Because if it doesn't, then the, the second you and I come across something where we don't agree on something and we can't, um, you know, approach that in a constructive way, then that's just like doomsville, I would think. So that's something I think is important, which is we're going to have different opinions on lots of things as individuals, as friends, as partners, as, you know, classrooms and as, you know, political or cultural um, groups. And if we don't have that, then that's something that I think going to make, you know, society a lot more fragile. Yeah. Um, you, you want to have the right operating system, which allows for people to update the values and the laws of things, um, which doesn't force, you know, groupthink. Um, if it's all right, James, we might need to jump into summary because I have another meeting that I need to eat some food. Um, it's, just, you know, well done, Duncan, doing life right. So the, one of the things that Tim talks about is the courage levels. And so courage level one is you need to stop saying stuff you don't believe 
And so I'm trying to find ways to push back in a thing that I think is positive some or to disagree respectfully. And I think part of this is like, it's not about whether or not I think I agree with the voice or not. I've never said that. It's about whether or not I think it makes sense as an example that a football code is going and saying something about this, which to me is a level of changing the operating system and a level of demonizing, you know, different thoughts that I don't think you know, make sense, right? So one, you need to stop saying stuff. Like so it's like cool talking about the operating system, not about, it's not whether I agree or not. Like I voted for Albo, I voted for Shorten, et cetera. You know, I voted for Andrews, right? Um, it's about whether or not I, do I agree with 100% of them of what, you know, the Labour Party has? No. Um, you know, so to me, in the next one, stop saying what you really, um, start saying what you really think in private. Um, and then start sort of saying in public. But to me, the main area that I'm trying to, to work on here is how to talk about the operating layer or operating system and dissociate that. This is like, I'm not agreeing or disagreeing with your viewpoint on whatever else it is. I'm just saying that I believe the way that sometimes that you're going about this is actually messing with our ability to have discussion, discourse, is actually causing emotional, sorry, um, psychological fragility, which is coming out as people having learned helplessness or fixed mindset or you know anxiety going up, depression going up, et cetera. Um, and the, those things, I think, are very hard to argue are good. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think that some of the ideas you have are great, but that the way that you go about some of those ideas is not great. Mm. And I want to try to say, you know, I want people to figure out and believe what they want to believe, not to believe what I believe. Mm. And I feel like they're going around trying to co-opt people into a new religion, right? You know, this is like wokeism and that, you, you know, religion, the beliefs are set. You must conform. And if you don't, you get excommunicated or cancelled. And that that to me is not the better way forward. We were kind of having religion as in beliefs that are taken as truisms and they're not questions were kind of going down and we were having diversity going up as in your diversity of belief, hey, not you diversity of skin color and that your thoughts and you can hang out with people that don't have to be on your team. Like I am a Christian, I am a Muslim, I am a whatever, right? They can be on whatever, you know, thought process they have and they can update it. And so to me, it feels deeply like we're going backwards in this area and not just feels if you look at all the data it shows and so i think we want to try to turn the tide towards groups that you could force you know listening force speaking etc backwards and that's that's the main point i'm trying to make here this reminds me of the south park episode where cartman goes to the future and he's just surrounded by otters yeah. <laughs> 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 okay so um so for me my summary is i'm noticing a very worrying trend mm. that you know, a lot of society, particularly younger generations, are getting more depressed. And there seem to be, a, you know, through the, the studies of John Stuart Mill, papers by Jonathan Haidt um, and a number of other uh, luminaries, they're making a strong correlation or a case that there is a strong ca uh, connection between the, the situation we find ourselves in and this growing culture that seems to be fed from, you know, the extreme left of moral absolutism and you know a, a sense of righteousness where anyone who opposes your way of thinking needs to be you know demonized and ostracized and so to your point duncan i think this is a how you think problem not a what you think problem mm. we want to foster a society where people can think you know these certain 
um, beliefs. But what we want to be very wary of is that we don't allow for the the application to override the system. We don't want to allow for people to start controlling other people's own speech or own actions um, out of fear of being, uh, you know, punished as a result of it. So I think it's an issue where we're, we're losing the ability to discern between what are true acts of violence versus what are implied or, um, you know, just vocalised. I think well, an act of violence, frankly, needs to have words that incite to violence, mm. these things. And not just that words are violence and then protesting. Like I know this is maybe a subtle line, but to me it's a very important one. Yeah, Anyways, and we're losing the distinction between what is truly harmful versus what is something that is a challenge that allows for us to address directly and you know grow as a result of that. So I would posit that if we can find a way to disagree respectfully, if we can find a way to bring back the core tenets of an open and free and you know society where you can allow for growth mindset, you can allow for anti-fertility, then hopefully that'll do a lot to ameliorate what we're seeing. I agree, James. Thank you so much. Um, good to chat. We will chat soon.